Thank you, praise team. Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're doing that, turning to Ephesians 4, uh, you saw probably when you came in, Pastor Brad mentioned it, the, uh, the fact that the building looks different out there today. This was uh, day one. Uh, I took a picture on day one. I was standing on the roof, and uh, all the little kids were looking at me. Uh, I get to go on the roof of this building. Uh, not too many people get to do that, uh, especially the kids don't get to do that. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're, we're in the beginning of phase two. Phase one is wrapping up. The uh, storage building is going to get some finishing touches put on it, and then we're going to start to load it up with stuff. And we've started phase two. And what are we trying to do with this building, right? What are we trying to do? Well, it's pretty obvious. We're, this building is a tool, okay? Uh, it's a tool for ministry. We're trying to make a better tool, trying to add on to our tool, enhance our tool, whatever you want to call it. We're trying to build on to it. And um, this is going to help make spaces that are more conducive to meeting together, to teaching the Bible, whether that be in the context of the local church or our Christian school. Uh, for you know, other purposes as well, adding on to make space for fellowship, counseling, and even storing the things that we need to make the ministry work. That's what we're doing. We're in the middle of this four-week series uh, on the church called our Delaware Bible Church Community, and for today's message, I think that the fact that the building of phase two started this week is a perfect analogy of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about unity, and I, I think I, I think that this is going to be uh, maybe a little bit of a counterintuitive message, meaning that uh, I think that we think about unity. You know, last week we talked about all the things that we have in common, and unity is just us like holding those things in common. And I, I want to push back against that. Uh, I think that unity is less of an attitude, according to the text that we're going to be in today. It's a little bit less of an attitude a little bit more of, a, of action. And you'll see what I mean as we work our way through it. But again, I think that the building out front, the building process that's going on out front serves as a wonderful analogy to what we're going to be talking about. And here's what we're going to be wrestling with. As we think about church, how can you promote unity in the church? How can you, as individuals, promote unity within the church? And we're going to work our way through what is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, and see, I think, uh, how you can do that. Let's start off with verse 1. And the first thing we're going to talk about is that you've got to understand that you've been given the opportunity to build. It's a mindset thing. Um, you've been given the opportunity to build. Now, I just want to say that I think that there's a big difference in the way I think about life in terms of uh, I've got a responsibility to do something versus I have an opportunity to do something. And responsibility sounds like drudgery and duty. Uh, opportunity sounds like something that is thrilling and something that I, is an honor to get to participate in. And I want to assure you, assure you that, that this is an opportunity. How do I get there? Let's read verse 1. I, therefore, this is Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I know. You're saying to yourself, Pastor, where is the word opportunity? in that it, it's not there. You're right. But, but let's think about this. Let's think about what Paul is saying. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
What is that calling? Now, we talk, Christians, and this is very prevalent in churches that I would not agree with doctrinally, but churches talk about calling stuff all the time. I've been called to do this. I've been called to do that. Uh, I've received the call to ministry, right? I get it. There's a lot of false information out there. There's a lot of, I would call it nebulous information that you can't really grab onto what the pastor or the teacher is trying to say. Let me make it real firm for you to latch on to what Paul is saying here in reference to what he's talking about. What calling has every Christian been called to? Well, here it is. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the idea that though we are all sinners, though we have all fallen short of God's glory, we've missed the mark of his perfection, and that we are what we are therefore do is to be separated from him forever in a place called hell. That's what that's the reality of the situation. That God did not leave us there in that situation. He instead sent his only son Jesus into the world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, rose from the dead three days later, proving that he was really God and that he was really the one that could pay the penalty for our sins. And then inviting us into trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. A perfect God-man died on the cross for our sins. And also inviting us to follow Jesus and making him our Lord, our Master. In other words, we entrust our lives to him and we try to walk in his ways according to God's word. That's the calling to which we've been called. And that calling is only existent because of God's grace. Again, grace is getting what you don't deserve. So this thing that we're doing, this thing that it, what it means to be a Christian, this, this whole idea of the gospel and the whole idea of following Jesus and having our sins forgiven, that's all from God's grace. It's all undeserved. It's all, it's all, what God has really in essence given us is everything. Left without God, we, we're going to die in our sin, we're going to go to hell, we're going to be separated from him forever, that's it. But because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we have been called into fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, into eternal life because of God's grace. What Paul is inviting us to do here is to live a life, that's what walk means, to live a life worthy of that calling. We are to live in light of the grace that we've been shown. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this. It reminds us that these lives that we're living, these lives that we're living after getting to know Jesus Christ and trusting him with our lives, are not, they do not belong to us. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're following Jesus. We're, we're thinking about life completely different now. We're thinking about a life that pleases and glorifies him. You know, I, can, I guess I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cut to the chase a bit here. So often in our American Western culture, 
Christians come into church with a consumeristic mindset. What is this body going to give to me? And I'm going to tell you that that mindset is killing the church. It's absolutely destroying it. Give it enough, given enough time with enough Christians adopting that mindset, uh, we're going to be in real trouble. We have an opportunity to live a life worthy of the gospel. We're going we're to flesh that out in the following passages, in the following verses. We have an opportunity to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And we need to rethink our mindset as we think about church and adapt to a new way of thinking so that we can build unity within the body, this body and in the wider church. Next, I, I just want to share as a sub-point of this that circumstances do not change the task before us. I just want to remind you what the first few words of this verse says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. I don't want to, like, ruin the... I don't want to get, you know, spoiler alert here. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus, from prison. I want to let you know that those aren't the best circumstances. Those are hard circumstances, difficult uh, not easy at all. And he wrote a lot of his letters from prison. Philippians is another example. And, and if Paul adopted the mindset of saying, well, look, somehow God has allowed me to be placed in this prison, that must mean either that my ministry work is done or that he doesn't like me anymore. I've fallen out of his favor. And so I'm just going to kind of sit here and wait for him to like reinstate me into society so that I can get about the work of, of living a life worthy of the, of the calling. Uh, spoiler alert, that's not what Paul did. Philippians tells us that Paul had quite a ministry among the prison guards that kept him, the Praetorian guard. Paul also took the time that he had in prison. I, like, I, I don't know, uh, I don't obviously know the Apostle Paul, never got to meet him. I'm not that old, despite what my kids say. Uh, but I imagine that this guy was a real task-oriented, go-getter kind of guy, you know. Oh, well, we're getting kicked out of this town. Let's, get, let's go to the next town, and let's, let's go to the synagogue there, you know. Oh, we got kicked out of this town. Let's go to the synagogue over here. He was a real go-getter. And so I just, this is divine speculation, I imagine that, that God had to slow him down a bit to get him to write down some of these things that needed to be sent to the churches and so perhaps uh, God's placing him in prison was not only to show us today that circumstances don't matter. We need to be walking worthy no matter what circumstances that we're in, but also to slow Paul down a bit to get him to write the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Philippians, and on and on, which now we have as part of our Holy Scripture. Folks, many Christians find themselves in tough circumstances, whether, whether that's by their own decisions or by just God's providence, uh, whether those circumstances be sickness or financial uh, difficulty, relational difficulty, we all find ourselves in difficult circumstances, and some Christians are in tougher circumstances than others. And in these circumstances, it could be tempting to stop living a life worthy of the calling that you've been called and to play the role of the victim. And I just want to say that is, the, that is the direction that our society is headed with full steam. 
something bad has happened to me i'm going to play the victim and shut down and and there are professionals out there that are justifying that that doesn't seem to be the pattern with Paul. It doesn't seem to be the pattern of Scripture. That our task, the task before us, is to build up the body of Christ no matter the circumstances, which is what Paul means by to walk worthy of the calling that you've been called. Okay, so you have the opportunity to build up the body of Christ. What else do we see in this text? You, have, you must understand that you have to have the right attitude to build, right? Right? In verse 2, we read this. Uh, you're supposed to live a life, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, with humility, not thinking too highly of yourself, right? With gentleness, not forcing your own way, but guiding the person into the truth, right? With patience, Sometimes it takes some folks longer to get there than it took you or others to get there. So you need to be patient with people. And it says, bearing with one another in love, uh, which I wrote as love that puts up with other people or love that puts up with others. Uh, some people can be stubborn. They can be difficult. Uh, they can be tough to love. Okay, test question. Test question. How many churches are there where everybody, how many churches exist on the face of this planet where everybody in the church, every single individual, is super easy for you to get along with? How many churches like that exist? Zero. Excellent. You passed the test. They don't exist, right? Why? Because God made us all different. We have different personalities, right? But he did give us a whole bunch of stuff in common, right? We talked about that last week. Our doctrine, right? The, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, our understanding of what preferences are, you know, all these kinds of things. Those are the things that we are to unite around. And so uh, Paul tells us in this, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we have to have a, a little bit of a right attitude when it comes to building up the body of Christ. And these are the things that are required. We all have to understand that we're all building the same thing. We're all building the same thing. Look at what Paul writes in uh, verse 3 and following. He says, uh, bear, let me pick it up in verse 2, uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, we're not, we're not trying to build 10 different organizations that are focused on 10 different things here. We're, we're, all focused on, we're all focused on the same things, which is that there is one body. There is one church, one true church on the earth. Now, Delaware Bible Church is, is a local expression of that church, of, of, the, of every human being that's trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin. And, you know, according to God's Word, that's a very important phrase, according to God's Word. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there that claim to be Christians that want to believe in a God that doesn't, a God that's different than the God that's talked about in the Bible, a God of their own creation, 
I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about the folks that have looked into the, into the Bible to understand who God is and have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior according to God's Word. There's one body. There is one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Helper that Jesus talked about. He said, I'm going to leave, and when I leave, I'm going to send you a Helper. The Holy Spirit that takes up residence in our life when we trust Jesus, convicts us of our sin when we walk, when we, you know, color outside the lines, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and, and is already present in our life, but reminds us that we are in sin and is participating in the process to grow us and shape us into the image of God. We have one hope, you know. Uh, I, I know that there's um, folks out there, you know, you might have hope in different things in this life, but you know, you might ho have hope that the Buckeyes are going to win the national championship this year. That's not a bad hope to have. But are you placing your life on it? You're not. If you are, you're a fool, right? More, it'd be more foolish to put your hope in Purdue football to win the national, right? I'd be, I'd be nuts to do that. So where is my hope? Is my hope in the sporting team? Is my hope in my job? Is my hope, my hope, the one hope that we have is the good news that Jesus Christ has rescued us from our sin and that when this life is over, we will be with God. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. We have good reason to hope for that, right? He rose from the dead on the third day. He never died again. In fact, he ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of, of the Father, just as he said that he would. That's our hope. That is our hope. We have one Lord. Another helpful word for Lord is master. This is one of the things, by the way, that unites us as people. When we come together and we have a dispute, when we come together, we don't know what to do. We look into God's word to see what he has said about life. And we agree, we're not going to do it Scott's way. We're not going to do it Bob's way. We're going to do it God's way. So he's our Lord. We have one faith right? Our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have one baptism, not into, uh, you know, we don't immerse ourselves into anyone else, but into Jesus Christ and to try to live according to his life. And then we have one God and Father of all. These are the things that we are building towards, right? These are the things that we unify around. But in that unity, we also understand Next, that each individual has been gift, gifted differently in order to build. Look what it says in verse 7. But grace, there's that word again, grace. Getting what we don't deserve. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. That's a reference to the Psalms. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions, into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. What does this mean? This language that's used here from the Psalms is talking about Jesus as if he's a triumphant victor. He's gone off into battle and he's won. And he's come back with the spoils of victory you know, the, the plunder, if you will. And now he's distributing that to all his people, each individual according 
excuse me, according to his grace. And so we understand that uh, God is giving us even more grace, number one. But we also understand, I think that this, there's a good analogy to this in Exodus 25 and following in the Old Testament, that God has gifted us differently and we need all of the gifts in order to build a healthy, thriving, growing church. I don't have them all. I don't think the elders of this church have them all. Collectively, we have everything we need. You're part of that. You have gifts that need to be exercised in the building up of the church. Now, what's Exodus 25 and following all about? It's about the building of the tabernacle. In the building of the tabernacle, which was kind of a mobile worship center for the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness, right? Eventually, it got morphed into the temple, or the same pattern got implemented into the temple, which was a permanent structure in Jerusalem. But in the building of the tabernacle, there were things that needed to be made out of cloth, and there were things that needed to be made out of metal, and various kinds of metal. And so all these different craftsmen were called into trade to, to, to apply their trade to build something for the whole, you know, the whole nation of Israel at the time. And the church is kind of like that. Some of us have the gift of teaching the Bible. Some of you have the gift of teaching children. You're very adept at it. Some of you may be teenagers, others adults, men or women. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. You can really make someone's day by calling them up or, or visiting them, spending time with them. Some of you have the gift of administration. You're you're able to get things done and, and organize people into groups to, to accomplish those tasks. You get the idea. In order for the church to work properly, uh, we all have to put our gifts together and exercise them in order to build up the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about just a building. I'm talking about each other. I think this text is talking about each other. Okay, and then finally, that we are to understand that your building will help the body be healthy and growing. Your building will help the body be healthy and growing. Look what it says in verses 11 and 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I don't, I don't know if you understand what this text is saying, but this is the way I understand it and I think, I think I'm right 
So let, let, me, let me do this in the form of questions. If you have, according to the text that I just read, if you have a really dynamite pastor, now I'm speaking hypothetically here, okay? I'm not talking about me. Let's just say that you got Alistair Begg or better to come shepherd this church, right? Is the church going to be healthy and growing in that condition alone? It will not. It will not. Okay, so let's go a bit further. Let's say that every pastor on the staff plus every elder is Alistair Begg or better. I'm using him because I like him. I, I just think he's a great pastor. Let's just all say that all, the, all three of the pastors on staff plus all of the elders, they're all Alistair Begg caliber or better. Is the church going to be healthy and thriving? According to the text I just read, it will not. Making you think this morning. I like it. Let me read let me read verse 15 to the end again it says this speaking the truth in love we are to grow up into in every way into him who is the head into christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is which is equipped when each part i'm that's all of us in the south this is a y'all situation when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'm going to illustrate this with a, um, a story. One of the things that, you know, we have a Christian school here, and it's a blessing to have a Christian school. Uh, but one of the things that we fight against all the time in Christian school, especially at the high school level, is having to spoon-feed stuff to students you don't want you don't want to be in a position where you're spoon feeding stuff. what do i mean by spoon feed i mean by uh you know you you teach the material and then the day before the exam you do a review on the material and you have to say things to the students like this i mean i'm saying this is bad if you have to say things to the students like this we're going to give you an, an exam tomorrow and everything that we just did on the review is going to be on the exam just as i worded it and i'm so nice to you i'm going to send you home with the review worksheet or the review sheet which you just have to like look at a few times and then tomorrow come in and just remember which words are missing and fill those in and you'll get an a plus did the students learn anything it's debatable maybe a little bit did they learn as much as if they would have mastered the material and came in and took the exam no not at all Better would it have been for the students to, to instead of uh, needing to be spoon-fed, better for those students to take, the, to, to take the attitude, wait, this education that I'm trying to receive, this is my future, this is my education, I need to learn this material. And so, uh, you know, let's say, it's, let's say it's a math class and you're going along in the math class, and this, is very, this happened to me, uh, I would lose track of... Uh, I, I don't understand what we're doing anymore. I've, I've got out of my depth. I'm, I'm lost in the class. I can say, my teacher is a bad teacher. They can't teach well. <laughs> Never mind the fact that everybody else in the class gets it but me, right? Let's forget about that for a minute. Or I can say to myself, I've, I'm lost. I need to go to the teacher's office hours or the help room or the, you know, 
we have uh, homework help here. I need to go to homework help, and I need to figure this out. I need to learn what, how this works. That student is going to do very well. Maybe not straight A's or anything like that, because we're all different. But that student is going to do well to take upon themselves the responsibility for their own education. Okay, that's my analogy. Now let me translate that into what I think this text is saying. To, to think that the church of Jesus Christ is going to be a healthy church based on having a rock star pastor or rock star elders is a complete misunderstanding of what church is and what it is supposed to be. Better for us to each one of us adopt a mindset that this church, Delaware Bible Church, is my responsibility and I'm going to take upon myself to, to, to build up the body of Christ using the talents that God has given me to the best of my ability. Now you say, well, how do you do that? How would one go about doing that? Well, I think the text kind of fleshes that out, right? Number one is to be equipped. Be equipped. It says in verse 11, he gave the apostles and prophets. By the way, I don't think those are on the earth anymore. The apostles are gone. The prophets are gone. If what you mean by prophets is like Old Testament prophets who foretold the future and all that, I think those folks are gone. If what you mean by prophets is someone who proclaims the word of God, I'm that, you know. Uh, one, any one of our pastors or elders are, are that. It just depends on what you mean by that. But we definitely have evangelists walking on the earth today, and we definitely have pastors and teachers, shepherds and teachers, walking on the earth today. And so, but what does the text say? It says, God gave all these offices, or these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints, that's us all, y'all, that's us all, for the work of ministry. The work of ministry belongs to us not to a certain subset of clergy or whatever. It belongs to us all. The work of ministry belongs to us all. And we're supposed to strive, right, for maturity. Until we all, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We you need to take it upon yourself to grow in your understanding of God's word and your application thereof in your life. And also to exercise the, the particular gifts that God has given you, the way that God has made you. And if you're, if you're doubting what that is, ask someone in your life group or someone that's close to you spiritually, and they will tell you what your gifts are. To exercise those gifts within the context of the local church. And that... Can I just say, shocker, that takes intentionality. You may have to read some books. You may have to read your Bible. You may have to learn to study your Bible more effectively. Don't be that Christian who says, you know, I don't really, I'm not really all that familiar with the Bible, but here's what Dr. Phil said last week on his show. That's not walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, nobody's asking anybody here to be, you know, uh, Alistair Begger better. <laughs> I don't know why I'm using him today. But what we are asking you is to, to do is to, to be equipped, to be intentional about training yourself for godliness. Training yourself for godliness according to God's word. 
So be equipped. Take it upon yourself to arm yourself with the Word of God to focus uh, the gifts that God has given you on the building up of this church. The second thing it says in the text is don't, don't be fooled, right? It says, uh, so that we may no longer be children, verse 14, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by craftiness, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Folks, there are so many false teachers out there. It's, it's difficult for me to enumerate them all. I have attempted in my foolishness in the past to make lists, to publish lists of false teachers. And honestly, it's an impossible task because there may be a Bible teacher out there or a, pa a famous pastor that's out there that's really good in certain areas, but when they wander into these other areas, they, it's a wreck, it's a train wreck. So do I, put them in, do I put them into a false teacher, true teacher? That's better for, for me, in my opinion, is to treat you what the, to treat you, to teach you what the Bible truly says, what God has truly spoken, and to let you be able to build up the discernment to reject the nonsense. But I can't, I can't crawl into your head and do that. You have to equip yourself with the Word of God and able to avoid being fooled. You have to take it upon yourself to get the education that you need to be able to resist false teaching. And can I just say, if I haven't said it like a minute ago, let me say it again, there's a ton of it out there. There's truckloads of false teaching out there. A lot of it is even in the Christian bookstore or on christianbook.com. There's a ton of stuff out there that I would not recommend. 1 John 4, 1 through 6, right? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's a call that we have, a, a command that we have to be able to discern what God has said from what is not true. And then it also says in this Ephesians 4 text, to speak the truth in order to build up to speak the truth in order to build up. So speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth is not, is not an easy thing to do, so I've devoted all of next week's sermon to just communication. So, you know, we're going to cover this verse next week, but here's a taste of it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but it's only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. I mean, that, there's a whole sermon in this one verse, can I, can I just tell you? But our speech, the, the way we talk, is supposed to build one another up. And, um, and that's a difficult thing to do, but it, it is something that you can discipline yourself to do. I want to tell you about uh, Dale. Uh, so it turns out that, you know how this works. We have, uh, when we do this building project that's out there, we hire one company we write a contract with one company, and that company then hires a whole bunch of subcontractors, right? They hire somebody to do the concrete, somebody to do the drywall. I hate drywall. I can't do drywall. Uh, they hire somebody to do the bricklaying, the masonry work, the roofing. You know, they hire all these subcontractors to do all the stuff. And Dale is the guy on site. Oh, by the way, this is not Dale. This is, not, this is a picture that I found online. Dale doesn't look anything like this. So don't be walking around looking for this guy. Uh, 
But Dale is the guy who is from the company that we hired, and he's the guy that talks to the concrete guy. He talks to the masonry guy, the roofing guy, and he talks to us, right? He says, hey, look, we were digging in the dirt and we encountered a problem. What should we do about this problem? Here's what we think. Or um, when, he, when they put up the fences out there, Dale talked to Mrs. Miner and said, is this going to work for your bus traffic flow to get school kids into and out of school each day? Uh, or do we need to do something different? In other words, all, his whole big job is communication. Now, with that being said, let's just say that the, the Brad, uh, Pastor Brad said that the, uh, we're going to pour some concrete soon. That makes sense. We're going to pour some concrete soon. So let's say that the concrete guys show up this week and they start laying out the forms. And Dale notices, because he's, a he's an astute guy, man. Dale notices that the concrete forms that they've laid out don't in any way match the blueprint. Uh, maybe they, got, they brought the wrong set of prints. Maybe they got an old set of prints, whatever. But, but it just doesn't match the blue blueprint at all. And Dale knows that if they pour the concrete into these forms, we're, it's going to be wrong. It's going to cost lots of money because we're going to have to jackhammer all that stuff out of there and start over. But Dale is a Christian. So Dale says, well, I don't want to hurt the concrete guy's feelings. So I'll just let him pour it and then we'll fix it later. That was a joke. <laughs> no, Dale, D Dale needs to be able to talk to the concrete guys and say, listen, you guys got the wrong set of prints. You're, you're going to pour this concrete. It's going to be wrong. We're going to have to tear it all up. And, um, you know, let's not do this because this is going to cost you and us. It's going to cost you money and us time. So let's do this right the first time. And then we can build what we're trying to build together properly. See, speaking the truth in love is absolutely critical to growth. And um, it's a skill that's being lost not only in our culture, but it's a skill that's being lost, I think, in the church too. So we'll talk about that next week. All right. The big question for today was this. As we think about the church, how can we promote unity in our church? And here's the reality. The reality is, is that we promote unity in our church not by just uniting in our minds around what we hold in common, what we talked about last week. I think we promote unity in our church by constantly and intentionally building up the church of Jesus Christ. And the goal here is to have every member, member functioning in that capacity. You are a builder. You come into this fellowship consistently, and your, your goal, your task, your mindset should be, I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to build up the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the building here, the physical structure. I'm talking about this congregation of people. There are people in this congregation, I promise you, that need the particular gifts that you have to help encourage them to their next stage of spiritual development and the exercise of their gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ. So we are consistently and intentionally building up the church. So, by way of application, just four things to think about. Number one is, it's important for you to reject a consumer mindset. A consumer mindset that comes to church and says, you know, the music wasn't all that good today. I'm picking on Albany. 
the music wasn't all that good today the preaching was kind of terrible today and so since i'm not getting out of this what i want to get out of this i'm out right i'm out of here that's a consumer mindset there's nothing about that that's not worldly okay now i'm not saying to stick in a church that you're miserable in but i'm asking you to examine your motives before tearing up stakes and going to the next church am i leaving this church because of something i'm not getting or am i leaving this church because i just refuse to be in a builder mindset a builder mindset says i'm going to come to church today and i'm going to try to build up the people around me i'm going to try to pour into them things that would help them to grow and change and become more like jesus christ according to the way god made me i mean think about it wouldn't it be wonderful if we all just adopted that way of life if on Saturday nights our prayers are before we go to bed, Lord, help me in the morning to come into Delaware Bible Church today and be an encouragement to five people, to be, to be able to exhort or, or to uh, embolden five people, uh, to be able to use my hands to serve five people, or whatever. Uh, you get the idea. So adopt a builder mindset. Uh, secondly, to pre uh, prepare to build daily prepare to build daily how do you do that well you got to know the blueprints right you got to know the blueprints you got to talk to the architect you got to have read what the architect wrote and that's bible study and prayer to use the analogy uh, god is the architect he made this life he is the author and the builder of the church right jesus said i will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it he's the one that's building it so we listen to him by reading his word we talk to him by praying so prepare to build on a daily basis. And then practice building regularly. I don't know anybody who got good at building anything in a day or in a month or even in a year. The ones that get really good at it practice it consistently over a long period of time. What does that look like? Well, it looks like taking the gift that God has given you or the gifts and exercising them regularly in the context of the body doesn't have to be on sunday morning either it could be throughout the week it could be any time so practice building regularly and then finally strive to become a master at it strive to become a master at it it takes time and practice and a willingness to stick to it what does that look like that looks like you're the person when the church wants to when somebody in the church wants to learn how to encourage others and you're you've become a master at encouragement that the other people in church say, oh yeah go talk to him go talk to her they know what they're doing and if you study under them for a little bit you'll be in good shape you'll be in good shape i hope i'm i hope that what this message did today was kind of break apart some of the stuff that's kind of gummed up the church built up over it over time in this consumeristic kind of mindset and said you know it's time to break that apart it's time for me to take some responsibility for the health of this body according to what god has given me it's time for me to assume some responsibility and to begin to pour in instead of take out that was my goal anyway so let's look to the lord father we uh we first and foremost want to start by recognizing that it is only because of your grace it is only because of the reality that our sin 
and rebellion separated us from you and that you though it was not required of you to do so chose to give us that which we do not deserve by sending your son paying the penalty for our sin and showing us a new way to live Father we thank you for that Father, we realize and recognize that culturally it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that church is something somebody else does for my benefit. And so to the degree that we've adopted that mindset, we seek your forgiveness, Father, and ask that you would help us to destroy that, get it out of here, and to instead adopt this Ephesians 4 mindset, this builder's mindset that says you've so graciously given us everything. You've asked us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. You've given us gifts, each one of us individually. That, that's clear in the text. And you've asked us to grow those gifts to maturity so that when each part is working properly, the body builds itself up in love. Father, that is our goal. That is our aim. That's where we want to be. Help us, according to your word, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the fellowship of your saints, help us to get there so that we might be an example, so that we might be a powerful testimony in this co uh, community and, the, and around the world of the power of Jesus working in the lives of his people. In his name we pray. Amen.